Well, good morning, good morning. I hope and pray that everything is wonderful with you. Uh, as we uh, move out of spring and into summer months, happy graduation to all of those graduates out there. We're going to be recognizing some here at Burlington Christian Church, uh, some of our kids that are moving up. And we usually uh, recognize kids who are moving from one school to another, either uh, we started preschool to kindergarten, middle school to high school, and then high school to college, and any college grads. Uh, so if that's you or your family, congratulations and uh, God bless you as you move up in life and in age and in um, smarts and brilliance and all those things that uh, we only wish we had. Uh, so God bless you. We are talking about all in, all in. Where am I here? All in. We're talking all in with Jesus, which is what we want to be is all in. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, there is no other place to be. There's, and I don't mean that like there's no other place to be because you, you can't be other places, but in the eyes of God and in the, the, the will of the Lord, there's only one place that he expects us to be. And that's all in with him. I mean, considering what Jesus has done for us and what God has done for us, the, the love that he has for us, the preservation that he has given us, the protection, chance after chance after chance, could have wiped us out. He did uh, once and almost a second time, but he could have completely annihilated us and just did away with us, but he, he hasn't. He keeps giving us more chances. He sends his son, Jesus, and, and he expects, say, we are either going to be all in with him or we're all out. We're just either one or the other. We're not both. And um, unfortunately, I, I think we live in a world and a church age where people think that's enough or that's good enough. Like, like my, my giving to the church is enough. I give money to the church. That's what I do. That's enough. Or I teach a Sunday school class. That's enough. Or, you know, I come to worship. That's enough. And, and it's not enough. If God doesn't really like have all of us, everything about us, like all of our all of our resources that we think are ours that he's given us, he, if it's not all his, if we don't view it as all God's for him to use however he wants me, for God to use however he wants, if he wants me to go to Haiti, go to Mexico, go to Africa, go wherever it is he wants, if I don't, if I'm not willing to just go for God, then I'm not all in. And God expects us as followers of Christ that say we are Jesus followers and we're disciples of his and we're his people. We call ourselves Christian. He expects nothing less than all in. John's writing to the churches in Ephesus. They're spread out. They're dealing with Gnosticism. They're dealing with all kinds of things. So now he's writing this letter. This is not the gospel of John we're talking about. We're talking about a letter that he writes much later, 1 John. And then he's going to write 2 and 3 John to these churches, these short little letters that he's going to write to them to help them realize that he walked with Jesus. Just to remind them, look, this isn't some guy we heard about. John is saying, this is a guy I lived with, I walked with, I heard him preach, I watched him perform miracles. 
And John is, is trying to remind them that this Jesus is the word that became life. He is the word of life. He is the light of the world. He is God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He came to earth in the form of a human being. So we're working through this letter, chapter 2, and John is challenging us to, to, to living in the light. And living in the light then means that we produce love. Right? If we're in the light, we're living in the light, what is going to come out of us is not just truth and light, but love. Because that light ought to be transforming who we are. We should walk like Jesus walked. That's what John says. If we're living in the light, loving in the light, we are walking like Jesus walked. In other words, living in the light is loving others. That's what it looks like, loving others. This does not mean we accept all the behaviors of the world. That is not what John is saying whatsoever. In fact, there's a lot of behaviors and a lot of attitudes and a lot of uh, um, lifestyles that, that we are not to accept, we are not to go along with, we are to stand firm against because they are anti-God. We're going to get on that soapbox next week because he's going to hit the, the idea of the world in the next section. But, but we're living in times where the, the world, the people of the world, outside of God, are in direct, not just rebellion, but on the attack. The devil is on the attack against God and everything God has created, his order of creation. From going green all the way, like, as if God can't take care of his creation. Like, the reason they're going green is because they don't believe in a God. They think they, they think they have to be the ones to save the planet, as if they can. Like, as if us mere humans are going to control the universe. Are we out of our minds? To marriage and what marriage is? To what a boy and a girl is, gender, that God created them, male and female. Everything going on in our world, in our culture right now, is an attack against God. And I hope and pray that if you're listening, you see that. I hope we're not getting sucked into the, the world and its feelings and its emotions. And, and, and this, this notion that I, I can be whatever I want to be. It's a slap in the face of God. And, and John is writing to kind of attack that mentality. Like, don't fall for that stuff. Don't, don't be easily lured away. And he's challenging us in this. And he's saying, when the light of Jesus comes in, you're, you're going to love. The fruit is going to be love. And you, we need to love people, but we do not need to go along with or accept the ways of the world, not love the world. He's not telling us to love the systems of the world. He's telling us to love the people that he made in his image that have fallen away and are lost and broken, even though they don't realize it. And that's the hard part, isn't it? That's the tricky part of this whole thing is loving people that are, that are confused, mentally confused, and, and think they're okay and think they're right and think their weirdness is normal and we should all somehow accept it. Even though it 
it doesn't line up with what God says at all. We have to learn and figure out how we're going to love the people even though we, we do not love the sin or the behavior. And that's the trick of it all, right? So we're going to dig into this, this next week, this idea about the world. But, but this week, we're going to look at this passage in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 2. I hope you got your Bibles and you're there. We, you know, we all have hats that we put on, right? We put on lots of different hats. Grandma hat, grandpa hat, father hat, coach hat, worker hat, <laughs> you know, all referee hat, all these different hats. By the way, uh, last weekend, sock puppets, I don't know, maybe you came. How fun would that have been if you came all the way to Burlington? I got to umpire that game with an, a friend of mine and uh, probably the highest level of baseball I'll ever get to umpire, almost, almost like minor league, not quite. Uh, but how fun that was to do that. And if you came, thank you for coming. If you didn't, maybe next time, if there is next time. We all have these different hats on. And so what John's going to do now, he's been putting on like this boxer hat, you know, jab, jab, punch, punch, pow. And now he's going to put on this like cheerleading hat, this, this grandpa hat again. And in this section, he's going to kind of pat them on the back and, and, and he's going to say, you guys are doing awesome. Watch, watch what happens here in John, 1 John chapter 2. He says, I'm writing to you. This is, this is the statement of the section. I'm writing to you, dear children, because... Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Heard that in the last section. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Now listen again. He's going to say it again. Verse 14 here. I write to you, dear children, a little different though, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Wow. Just standing back a little bit. Blimp's eye view here. We want to take a bird's eye view. John is saying, first of all, you know, there's a lot of evil in the world. Darkness is there. It's all around. We're battling it. We're fighting it. But he's trying to say to them, what he's trying to say to them is you guys, you guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Uh, with the instruction to fight, don't be a liar, uh, live for Jesus, walk in the light, don't claim to and not do it. You know, with all that other instruction we saw in, earlier in this chapter, in chapter one, now John is going to say to them, you guys are amazing. You're awesome. You're awesome. He's going to pump them up. The darkness is knocking at every turn. Evil prowls looking to destroy. It would be easy for you to take the, the path of least resistance and give in. But you, you guys, you are hanging tough in the Lord. You are hanging tough in the Lord. Oh, I, I hope, I hope and pray that, that God, when he looks at us, when he looks at you and me, he can say, you are hanging tough in the Lord. Like God could honestly, or one of the apostles could honestly say to us, you're doing this. You are hanging tough in the Lord. Good job. Keep going. It's kind of what John is saying here. Remember, he's been unloading a lot of jabs, challenging them to stand. Don't claim this and do that. Don't be a liar. And now, and now in this little section, what John's going to do, he's going to give him a great big hug. John, John has to feel like a dad to, to these children, to these, these people of the faith that he is now an apostle over, a shepherd over these sheep. 
And he's writing to them with this fatherly love in his heart, knowing that that the, the constant threat of evil lurking all around them. How the devil is always on the attack to kill and to steal and to destroy God's people through all kinds of junk, all kinds of means. Just notice how the devil is taking the things that God has created and twisting them into evil. Disguising them in some way as good. Like, like this is good, we should all participate in this, but it is evil and it is an attack directly on the truth of God. I hope, I hope you're seeing it. I hope you, your eyes are open in this world and you are not being blinded by the brightness of the evil. And so John knows here in this section that a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So he's going to love them a little bit. He's going to, he's going to encourage them. So let's take a little deeper dive into this. He says, look at this, I'm writing you. I've underlined it. Or wait, I, I, uh, I put it in a um, highlight here. Uh, I'm writing you. Every time he says, I'm writing you. I think six times he says, I'm writing to you. And John lays out here in this little section exactly who he's writing to. Yes, he is writing to this group of Christians, right, who, who are in these churches in Ephesus. But specifically in this section, he's going to uh, uh, call out three different groups of people, children, fathers, and young men. Look what he says. Fathers, look, I, I've underlined fathers, children, young men. He's going to kind of direct his attention to them. And it kind of covers everybody, but not necessarily everybody, but most everybody. And, and we got to remember, we're not going to play like we don't. Like we live in this world of equality and some of that is just totally fine. Uh, equality is a good thing. Men and women are equal. When it comes to the eyes of God, we are equal. But we know we're different. Men are different than women. That's just the way it is. Just look at our anatomy. We're different. We're different. We know this. We're not going to pretend we're not, okay? Let's not play that game. But even from the beginning, men and women, God has looked at with different roles in this world. We have different roles in the world. We don't get to now all of a sudden say, no, we don't. Women can be men, men can be... We don't get to do that with God's creation. It's his but from the very beginning, men have a role in God's eyes, and it's always been a leadership role. Men have always been looked to by God as the head of the family, the husband of the wife. Remember, God created Adam, and from Adam, he, he made Eve. So Eve came out of a man. The first woman ever to be created came from a man. Now, that's a little weird, but... But it wasn't through a pregnancy. It wasn't through what we're seeing in this world today. Men can have babies. That's, that's, a, that's ludicrous. This was the creator of the universe causing Adam to go into a sleeve, taking out a ribbon, creating, fashioning a woman. This is a miracle of God. This is not what the world is doing today. And so we have roles. We get that. But we're, we're equal. You go into a marriage, we're equal. The husband and the wife are equal. Doesn't mean we have the same role and it doesn't mean we're made the same. It just, 
It, it, we're different, and it's a good thing. It's why we love women, right? Because if you're a guy, you love a woman. You should be attracted to a woman. That's just the way it is. It's the way God made us. But, but so he gives these three categories, right? These three categories, children, fathers, and young men. And uh, we have to kind of think about this a minute. Does John mean, when he, when he says children, fathers, young men, does he, does he mean like physical generations? Is that what he's getting at? Like children, kids, the little people, young men as in the middle-aged people, and fathers as in the adult. Is that what John's talking about? This generational thing, children, uh, young adults, and then adults. Is that what he's getting at? Or does John mean their age in the faith? Their age in the faith. Because that's different. That's a little different. Remember John? has uh, This is later in his life. The, the gospel has been around now for 60 years or so. He's been preaching it. Jesus came years ago, 60, 70 years ago. He died it's that long ago. So the church has been going for now 60, 70 years, not, not 100, less than 100. And so in that, in the church now are people that are a little bit older. They've been around for, since the beginning. They're older. But there's always coming into the church new people. Their age in the faith. Is that what John's getting at? Their age in the faith. Like children in the faith as a new, a new convert. You're just, you know, young in the faith or uh, young men in the faith who are kind of been in the faith now a little while. They're growing up in the faith or, and older men are in the faith that have been in the faith like a long time. They're more mature in the faith. Children, young men, fathers. Most likely John is talking about in the faith. Most likely he's talking about in the faith because there are many converts that are adults that have given their life to Christ. They came in as an adult, not a little kid. They've come in as an adult, but they are new in the faith. They are newly born again. So they're just beginning their walk in Jesus. Now, they're going to grab things quicker than a, a little person who gives their life to Christ. That's true. But when it comes to their understanding, their experience, their walking with Jesus, they are babes in the Lord. And here's what's neat about this is that that we are all in different places in our walk with Jesus. Like we all acknowledge that. We're all in different places, right? Some are just beginning. You've just given your life to Christ. You're walking with Jesus. Others have been walking with Jesus for a long time. They're advanced in experience. They've been walking for many years with the Lord. And so we're all in these different places in Jesus. But I got to tell you, God does expect that we will grow up and mature. And he expects certain things from us as we grow and mature. We don't get to be older adults in the faith for a long period of time and still drink milk. That is not cool. God expects that we will at one point move from the milk to the meat. And we will be about meatier things with God. We will not stay in that infant stage all our life like little babies. Grown adult babies. That, that is not God's desire for us. And there's a lot of people in the church who have grown up in the church. They've been in the church all their life and they are still drinking milk. They're not onto the meteor things. They've never grown up. They've never really uh, embraced what God wants in their life and through their life and with their life. And they're just still hanging around 
drinking off of other people. That shouldn't be. If you are new in the faith, if you're new in the faith, if you've given your life to Christ just in the last few years, you're still a born again believer, wet behind the ears, still green a little bit. You, you're new in the faith and you could be a, a teenager or a, a kind of a, an adolescent person. We don't, we, don't, we don't baptize people into the faith until they're older uh, young people, maybe older elementary age where they really are beginning to understand what it means to sin against God and what rebellion is and, and their need for Jesus. They don't have to understand everything, but they need to understand basic things first. We're not going to baptize an infant. We're not going to baptize a baby because they don't know. But as they get older in their age, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, they, they're beginning to understand things. So so that's when somebody might give their life to Jesus. Well, there's that. And there's adults who might come into the faith later on in their life. They give their life to Christ. If that's you, you're new in the faith, then your job, your job in new in the faith is simply this, to learn, to be in the word, to, to, to sharpen others and be sharpened by others, to, to be with other believers, to grow together with other believers, to be a part of the church family, growing together, learning together. You should also begin to serve and you should also begin to explore like how God wants to use you in the church and how God wants to use you in the world. So if you're new in the faith, like the faith of Jesus as a disciple of Christ, you, you are now considering yourself a student of the word of God and of Jesus. And you're new to this. You should be learning these things. If you've been around many years, and I'm talking 5, 10, 15, 20 and beyond, if you've been around many years in this faith of Jesus, your job is to be a teacher, to be servants, to be leaders, to be mentors, to be more perfected at sharing your faith with other people. You should be able to share the gospel with a lost friend. You should be able to take them from creation to Jesus, the blood, our sin, forgiveness, and grace. You should be able to lay that out for anyone. And if you can't, you need to get busy. If, if you're older in the faith, not a child, maybe a young man, maybe a father age, you should be more perfected in sharing this, more willing to sacrifice yourself that others would come to know Jesus. You should be willing to give whatever it takes of yourself that others might come to know Jesus because you have come to understand the truth of this life that it's passing away and the life that is to come. You should be a bright example of Christ-like servanthood to the world around you. They should see Jesus shining in you by your love and your servant heart. More passionate about carrying out the Great Commission. Because, because here's the thing, for those of us who are older in the faith, been around a while, we have come to understand that this world is not our home. We are just passing through and we are like a mist or a vapor. We're not here long. And so we don't have a lot of time to waste on the world and the stuff of the world. We need to give our devotion to serving God. Heaven is closer to us than ever before. And we are now investing in the kingdom of God, not in a world that is perishing. 
If you've been around the faith and you have a job to do, you have work to be about. We don't get to sit on the sidelines and watch others do that. There's no bleachers for God's children and his disciples. We are all actively involved in serving our king. He says, I write to you, fathers, children, and young men. So John is all about sharpening them, right? God is all about sharpening us. John's talking to them, these people in Ephesus back in his day. He's trying to encourage them, sharpen them, prod them on, challenge them to greatness. And God is trying to do through the same letter, these same words, he's trying to do that for you and me today. These words are as, as, as real for us today as they are for his John and, and the people he wrote to. So he says, children. Okay, check it out. He says children two times. Children is general. Children is not necessarily small, small children. When we think children, we think little person, but not necessarily small child. Perhaps young believers. Christians of all ages that are babes in Jesus. And he's saying to them, you are awesome. You are awesome. And look what he says in light of children, two different places. He says, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And the second thing he says is, you know the Father. We're going to put that all together. We're going to take these one group at a time. You have come to know the Father. You have come into Jesus you now have a relationship with God. The Holy Spirit lives in you and your sins have been forgiven. You are blessed. You are blessed and you know it. It's no longer a mystery. God has told us. He has shown us. He has invited us into him. And you have been forgiven. How many of us know, how many of you know that you are blessed? Like how many of you, how many of us know that we are blessed? I mean, blessed beyond blessedness. Like when we consider God and what he's done for us, we are so blessed, not because of what we have done, not because of our education or our talent or our sports or our smarts or, or whatever else we have brought to the table, not because of that at all, but because of what the Lord has done for you. We are blessed because of what God has done. Our stuff, rags, rags, trash. Paul calls it all rubbish. God's blessings to us, eternal, truly blessings. Yeah, the world is a mess. Uh, and sometimes you and I, we get sucked up in the world, right? That's what happens. We get sucked up in the stuff of the world. We get weary, we get tired, we get a little down. We see all the evil advancing. We see God's order and his truth being disrespected and trampled on, and it should tick us off. It ought to tick us off when we see this garbage. When we know the truth and we see the attack on the truth. See, the problem with a lot of Christians and the, and the fact that they're getting sucked into this stuff in the world is because they do not know the truth. So they don't see the attack on the truth. They're as blinded as the lost. But when you know the truth, when you know God's word, you can see the attack on it. You can see the deliberate attack on God's word and it ought to tick us off. But today, today, this is a good day for us. Today, we get to step back. 
back enough to remember. We get to step back away from the, 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 the yuck of the world for just a second, and we remember that it's because of Jesus that we are forgiven. And we have a personal relationship with God, the creator, the maker of heaven and earth, the savior of the world. And all of our blessedness, all of our blessedness, look what he says, all of our blessedness is on account of his name. It's because of what Jesus has done that you and I are most blessed. Not anything that we have done. Zero. Our stuff doesn't amount to anything. But what God has done, eternal life. We are blessed. So no matter what goes on around us, as we battle it and fight it, we get ticked off at it, we get sucked into it a little bit, always we got to step back and remember, as children of God, we are, we are so blessed. And his glory, his glory far outweighs anything that this world can do or offer you. His glory, you are blessed. He says young men. Two times he says young men in this. Do you see it? Young men, those in the prime and the vigor of their life, right? They're not children. They're not adult fathers yet, but they're in the middle there. They're young men. Could be, this could be up to almost 40 years old, according to scholars. Those growing up in their faith, they're not babes in the faith anymore. They're not full-grown mature elders in the church or anything, but they're, they're, they're strong in their faith. And, and here's why they're so awesome. If you look at the young men sections, here's why they're so awesome. You have overcome the world, John says. You have overcome the evil one. You've over, young man, good job. You've overcome the evil one. You are strong. The word of God lives in you. You have overcome the evil one. Again, the God of this age he's talking about, the evil one in this world that is working against God and working against his people. You've overcome him. That's awesome. You, young men, you, young men, you are going to battle every day against the evil one. This is what John said. You are triumphing over the passions of your youth. You are conquering these things that are coming against you in the world, wanting to trip you up and tempt you. God in you has made you strong and you are overcoming because God is in you strong. <laughs> That's awesome, isn't it? You have taken your stand. The armor of God is on you and in place. And you are now warriors in this world, young men. By the word of God that is in you, you are gaining the victory in the flesh and you are already, and you already have the victory in the spirit. Two different things, right, going on there. One, God is helping us through the power of his Holy Spirit and the power of his word to help us overcome in this flesh as we live in this world that we have to fight and battle. Our own mind, our own heart. But spiritually, we have already overcome the world. We are already heaven bound. We are, we are moving toward heaven. It is already the victory for us in Christ. I like that he says a couple things here. He says, you are strong. Do you see it? You are strong. He says, uh, 
In Christ, you have the strength of Samson. You have the accuracy of David, the ability of Noah, the battle leadership of Joshua. In Christ, you are strong. Stay right there. Don't move out of there. In fact, keep going in there deeper. Keep going in that direction, not that direction. He says, the word of God lives in you. Now, this is why you're strong. This is it. Jesus, the living word, has come to live in us. We've accepted Christ into our life. We have been baptized into Jesus, buried with him in death, and risen again in a newness of life. As we come out of that watery grave and we're born again in Jesus, he comes to live in us. His Holy Spirit is now empowering us and living in us. The presence and the power of God is in you. He's here. It's why you're strong. It's because the word, the living word of God is now in you. Oh, I hope he's in you. I hope and pray he's in you. Truly, not religion, not religion, but God is living in you because you have obeyed his word. You have done it the way God has said it in his word, not the way some religious group has said it. But according to the Bible, according to the scriptures. And then he says, one more word, he says, overcomer, you are overcomers. Like in Jesus, you already have this spiritual victory. Now in this world, we're going to fight. We're going to fight with everything in us to walk in Jesus, to walk in him, to stay in Jesus. And when we stay in Jesus, when we walk in Jesus, the devil cannot touch us. As long as we stay right there in Jesus. And he says, fathers, this is the last grouping that uh, in order, children, young men, fathers, fathers two times, those among them advanced in years. He's talking about those Fathers as in head of the households, fathers, families, husbands, dads, men. Like fine wine, fathers, aged. Not little children, not young in the faith, but aged, experienced. You've been around the block. You've experienced things. Death, life, priorities. You've seen failures. You've seen success. You've seen so much in this world because you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You've watched him take you into the valley and you watched him bring you out. You're mature. You're aged like fine wine. In a spiritual sense, mature. Established in Jesus. You fathers, you are established in Jesus. And here's their awesomeness. Look what he says. Same thing twice. You know him who is from the beginning, and a second time, you know him who is from the beginning. And this further confirms what we talked about last week, the beginning, meaning Jesus on earth. You, you have known Jesus from the beginning. You could go to the creation if you want. You've known him since the creation of, of the world. But in their lifetime, in their existence on the earth, they have known these men. These are older men. They probably as old as John is, maybe his same age. They've been around when Jesus walked on the earth. They were around when, during the teaching of the apostles and the miracles of Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection. They, they went around that long. This is in their time. How cool is that? They're still alive. You know him. Who is from the beginning. Oh, 
The others weren't around for that, right? The kids, the children, the young men, they weren't around when Jesus walked. They weren't around in the beginning of this new covenant time. They're around now, but this is a little later for them. Many of these fathers, many of these fathers not only heard John and the other apostles, but they walked with Jesus. They saw Jesus. He says, you have known, you have known, this is a cool thing. He says, you have known a heavenly father, an eternal father. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him. And here he says, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. You know him. You know this eternal father. Think about that. You know God. You saw Jesus. You saw God. You know God. <clears throat> you know the Father, the spiritual, heavenly, eternal Father, in contrast to the fleshly Father, who isn't so perfect all the time. Much less perfect than the Father, right? So you know the Father and you know your fathers, and you can see the difference between the two fathers. You know the heavenly fathers. John says, I am writing to you. Verses 12 through 13, present tense is emphasized. I am writing to you. In other words, I'm writing this letter. It's coming to you. I am writing this to you right now, right here. I'm writing to you. The second time through in verses 14 uh, in that passage, he changes the word. This is cool. Of I'm writing to you. He changes the word and he says, I wrote to you. This is, this is cool. It seems like a small thing, but it's actually pretty sweet. Check it out. I'm writing to you. I wrote to you. In other words, John is saying, there's no more to be said. Isn't that awesome? I'm writing to you. I have written to you or I wrote to you. There is nothing more to be said than what I'm telling you. <laughs> That is powerful and good. In this, John is very encouraging. John is pumping them up. He is excited. Here's what he's excited about. The potential that they have and the potential that we have in Jesus it is tremendous potential that we have in Christ. When, when a person is in Christ and they're walking with Christ, God can do miracles on the earth. He can use that person to do amazing, miraculous things. In contrast to not giving your life to Christ and just going through life doing life things, world things. When God gets a hold of a person, he can do incredible things. He can build an ark. He can, he can take over the world. God can do all kinds of incredible things through a person who gives their life to him and walks in him. It's insane, the, the potential that is there. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We read this. We read this and we see it and we even feel it because John is intense about it. John is impassionate about it. This, this very high calling, this aim at perfection and holiness and godliness and excellence. We know John has like lifted the bar and there it is and we see it and we feel it. How awesome it would be if we truly were all that that John is praising them for. Like our part, 
Like, like if we were guilty of this level of what John is sharing with them, this level of intensity and this level of godliness, how incredible it would be if we were at that level and could honestly claim all this praise from John. But we know, we know in our heart that we fall short of this. We fall short of, of God's glory and God knows that we fall short of that as well. But here's the thing, that's not the problem. That's not the problem. Really, that's not the problem. God has, God has made a way to take care of that. The real issue, the real issue is we are reluctant. As human beings, we are reluctant. We can't claim all that praise because we get distracted and we allow ourselves to get entangled in the things of this world. We kind of want the best of both worlds. We want all of God and we want all of the pleasures of the fun of the world too. Therefore, we, we come up short. We come up short from the one thing we come up short from the one thing that we do get to control. There's a lot of things we don't control, but the one thing that we do get to control, we come up short of. And that is, in our will, in our free will, in our surrender to God, to go all in, to give him everything, to give him all that we are, to go all in with Jesus, not just hang around the light, but to make our home in the light completely in the light, to control ourselves, to be spiritually disciplined in Jesus, to surrender all, 100% of all of us to him. That's our hang-up. It isn't anything else. It isn't that we mess up occasionally. It's that in our free will, we are unwilling, for whatever reason, to go all in. We hold back. And so the question for us to chew on and deal with for ourselves this week is what is it that's keeping you from being all in? What is it that is keeping you from jumping off the cliff and trusting Jesus completely? Is it just maybe some ignorance? We just don't understand it all? Maybe that's it. Just, just a biblical understanding is what we need. What does it really mean? How do I do this? Maybe that's what you need. But maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's, a, a, it's, it's your lifestyle that you love doing certain things that you know are not right with God. And so you're not all in because you enjoy the pleasures of the world around you. See, that should not be. Wrestling with Jesus, wrestling with the truth, wrestling with the word, wrestling with what it means to be all in and what does that look like and how do I do that? That is what God wants from you and from me. Giving into the pleasures of this world, trading in all in with Jesus for some temporary pleasure of this world is foolishness. And it's a choice that we make that keeps us from being all in. So what is it? What's keeping you from all in? I think what we should do is identify it, pray about it, keep on battling against it, and let God help you remove it from your life so that you could be all in with him.
Because in Jesus, in Jesus, and only in Jesus, are we not just blessed, but we are in Jesus eternally blessed. You guys have an amazing week. And we'll see you next week when John tackles an awesome topic, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. And we'll see you then. God bless you guys. Have a good one.